I want to preach under this title, View from the Window. View from the Kitchen Window. View from the Kitchen Window. Uh, motherhood is no mystery. Uh, but sometimes the words we would use to describe motherhood are difficult to find. We could say that it is simply having a child. That, that qualifies one as being a mother. But in reality, that falls way short of real motherhood. It falls way short of even parenthood. Real motherhood is one of those life experiences that you can plan for, but it's not until you're in it that you really learn what being a mom is all about. Remember when we were getting ready to have our first child, we talked about how we would parent, and you start to observe different parenting styles and different things and interactions between parents and children. And I can remember uh, being out to eat, and and one of the children we observed was constantly, you know, like getting into people's food. And we thought our kids never going to do that. Oh, and I'm going to tell you, you can make those plans, but until you actually have to parent and keep restraints on a child, your plans don't really matter. You learn what being a mom is all about in the middle of it. So when Nancy's kids ask her what it's like to be a mom, she woke them up at 2 a.m. to let them know her sock came off. And if you have children, you can relate to Nancy. It is way more than extending your family or carrying on family heritage. It's some late nights, it's some inconveniences, it's, it's getting woke up in the morning because a sock came off, it's getting woke up because someone's tummy is upset. It's, it's a lot. A lot is said about a mother's influence on her child. Great men and women throughout history have given credit to a mother's influence and playing a role in them becoming what they became. George Washington said, my mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All I am, I owe to my mother. Wilma Rudolph, legendary runner, Olympian, said, the doctors told me I would never walk again. But my mother told me I would. I believe my mother. Thomas Edison said, my mother was the making of me. She was so true, so sure of me. And I felt I had something to live for, someone I must not disappoint. Sheryl Sandberg, CFO of Facebook, said when my mother took her turn to sit in a gown at her graduation, she thought she had only two career options, nursing and teaching. She raised me and my sister to believe that we would do anything and could do anything. And we believed her. Moms can have a lot of influence. So I want to say happy Mother's Day to our mothers, and I want to preach to you this morning. But what I'm going to preach on can really, really help everyone that is here. Because whether you're a mother or not, there is someone, whether you recognize it or not, that you have influence in their life. And influence is an important thing. It's an important thing that we understand how our influence impacts someone else. 
And whenever you think of a mother and a child relationship, it's a very direct connection there. But influence is important. Sisera was a warrior. He hadn't chosen warrior as a profession as much as it had chosen him. Or should we say that it was what he was more nurtured in? It's not like being born to something. It was more like being born in something. It was early in a life that a sword was placed in his hand. And it might have been a wooden sword, but it was a sword he was being prepared. And from the beginning, there was something about what he could do with a sword. Everyone saw it. They recognized it. When the boys played their war games in the yard, they could see. There was something about a sword in Sisera's hand. His mother saw it. She would often see when he routed the competition from her window above the sink as she looked out on the backyard battles. And she encouraged him. As a young man, the games shifted from training, from just playing to more serious training. The use of the sword was a way of life in Sisera's world. His skill with a spear really did mean life or death for him. And so she encouraged him. There was the day when he came home carrying more than sword and spear. He had been wounded in training, and she bandaged his wound, giving pause for the fear of what could happen to her little boy, but she pushed that out of her mind. The warrior was in training, so she pushed that fear aside and nursed him back to health. Or maybe the day when he was ready to quit, Maybe he could be a shepherd, a farmer. He even said, maybe I'll be a blacksmith. I'll provide the weapons for the war. She could hear the frustration. She listened as it spilled out of him. So when he was ready to hear it, she had a few choice words, words of encouragement she gave to Sisera. It only took a little encouraging from her for him to go back to the training field the next morning because he really didn't want to quit. She knew it. His mother was there for it all. Trudging home from long days on the battlefield, mom would see him from her window, meet him at the door before he could get inside the house. You can imagine her saying to her nearly grown man of a son, straight to the bath, young man. Don't sit on any furniture until you've had a bath. Mom, I'm tired. I, I know, but to the bath, to the bath. And as he would come, emerge, feeling more like a human, she would meet him with something refreshing. Victories of battle, like trophies, began to stack up and give testimony to the fact of what others had recognized a long time ago. There was something about Sisera and a sword in his hand. Sisera was a warrior, and his mother knew it. The people in town, they knew it. He was a warrior. So his ending was a surprise to everyone because he didn't die the way you'd expect a warrior to die. Sisera had never ran from a battle in his life. 
He had never lost a battle before. But on this day, he was witness to every last man in his army dying at the sword of another, a tool that many of them had mastered from a young age. So he fled. He fled on foot from that battlefield, and he arrived at the tent of a woman named Jael. And she offered him safety, willing to turn away anyone that might be looking for the last man that was standing from the battle. Like those many times before when he returned home so weary that he couldn't hardly stand in the doorway and mom sent him off to the bathroom to get refreshed. And mom prepared him something fresh to eat, to drink. It was natural. J.L. said, come inside. And she poured him some milk. And as he drank it, she removed there from a linen spot some blankets to cover him as he lay down to rest, weary warrior, running from the battle. Sleep taking hold, he never even knew when death came. The tent peg was driven through his temple by the woman who had been so welcoming and so ended the life of Sisera the warrior. Major event in history for Israel. As often happens with major events in history, a song was written about it that they would sing. And it even included his mother in this song. We find it in Judges chapter 5. I want to read a little portion to you. Verse 25 says, He asked for water. She gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer, and she pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell, he lay still. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. That's a catchy tune, right? So catchy. Some of y'all will be singing that when you head home today. It's just, it's going to hang up in there and get hung like those terrible commercial songs and jingles. But listen to this next verse. Verse 28, the mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Could there be any more of a hopeless sigh? Where is my son, she's basically saying. When will he come home? I'm waiting. The view that she had from her window had now Changed The window that she'd looked out of approvingly of her son now became a view of horror, a hopeless window. The thing that she'd encouraged him in and recognized in him that could take him to greatness was now the thing that had destroyed her son. What once produced pride and endangered, engendered applause now produced sorrow for this mother. Cicero's mother looked out the window looking for a chariot that would never return. She expected him to come home richly laden with the spoils of war, as in times past. She expected a parade in his honor. She was looking for a son that would return. She expected him to come home, but he never did. Her look was a longing look, a mother's 
ambitious look. Instead, now she looked out of a window of disappointment and sorrow, a window that looked possibly toward the training fields where he had been trained in battle that made him a warrior, that made her so proud, now looked out upon emptiness. The view from the window represents for us a perspective on leading our children to what they will value in life because of influence. There's a statue in Venice, Italy. It shows a charming young mother with a beautiful child on each knee. The inscription beneath the statue says, A woman is a queen whose realm is her lap. A mother has some influence. So let me pose a question to each mother in this room today. It's a good question, a question that any person who has influence over another could ask themselves. What window am I approvingly and proudly looking out for my children? What am I promoting and encouraging in their life that will become their future? I need to take measure of those things and know what it is that I'm pushing them toward. It may look good now, but what does the future look like? I want to give you three directions that your window may look that will almost certainly bring heartache and disaster for you. Then I want to give you two directions that your window can look that will almost certainly give positive results. The first window is this. It's the window called worldliness. It's taking and looking toward the things of the world more than the things of God. Because it doesn't matter what we say, it only matters what we do. And our children watch us and they know they're influenced by the subtleties of our home and the subtleties of our life. Herodias leads the procession of mothers who hold this view. Matthew 14, 6 through 11 says, But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. We look and we say, look what the daughter has done. She was dancing. It was sensual. It was provocative. It was intended to gain Herod's approval. But what got her to that point was long before she was ever invited to dance. It was a mother that had influence. It was a mother who guided her into a certain direction. And what we are encouraging our children to do in order to gain the accolades of culture around us, it affects them. It could be something, some things are not negative to encourage them toward. It could be toward, it could be education. Education is a good thing, but if education ends up destroying them, that's not a good thing. So what are we encouraging them toward? Is it to fit in? do what everyone else is doing, to go along with the flow of culture as it moves further and further away from godliness. Parents have to stand against the flow of society. What chance did Salome have with a mother like Herodias living her own sensual life? She abandoned her husband for her brother-in-law. 
She celebrated when her daughter won approval of Herod and guided her toward the request of John the Baptist's head on a platter. Herodias encouraged and eventually involved her daughter in her sinful worldly pursuit of personal pleasure. Is your window open toward worldliness with an approving or tolerant smile? Or are you drawing a line? say the world may do that everyone else may be part of that but we're not going to be like that we're going to be different we're going to be distinct we're going to be separate we're going to be God's people window number two is there's a window of compromise Lot and his wife serve as an example of compromise not all compromise is bad but there are times of compromise that it is very bad they found it easier to get their children into Sodom than they did to get them out The rough hillside, the barren mountains outside of Solomon were no place to raise a family. It'd be much easier in the city. And so, because there were too many challenges and it was uncomfortable, they said, let's have the luxury and ease of the city. A city that was accepting of sexual perversion and lifestyles of sin rejected by God. A very sinful, wicked city, so wicked that God chose to destroy both of those cities. Consider the other option they had. Live a hard life facing daily challenges, harsh hills, and a barren wasteland. The choice for us is not between living isolated in the hills. It's not between a city of sin in a plain or going up to the mountain of God that looks unappealing. But the principle matters for us. We can live a godly life surrounded by a culture entrenched in sin. It's possible. Lot did. The New Testament speaks of righteous Lot, said he was righteous, even though he was in the middle of that sin-sick city. But there was a direction of compromise for his family that Lot and his wife never recognized until it was too late. When it all ended, their oldest daughters and sons-in-law They lay under the rubble that used to be Sodom and Gomorrah. The wife was turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back, and the younger daughters, even though they escaped, they got their father drunk and seduced him in an incestuous relationship, becoming the mothers of Moab and Ammon, descendants who never stopped resisting and fighting against God. Compromise. Immorality overtook the family because of compromise. There's no room for compromise when it comes to some things, especially the things of God. Retain your godly integrity. Hold fast to your godly position. Hold fast to the lines that you are being led by the Spirit of God to draw in your home. And if you'll allow God to speak, He will tell you where those lines should be at. Don't compromise on the stuff that you let your kids watch and be exposed to. Don't compromise. It's going to be difficult. It's a challenge today because everyone has something that they can get access to the internet, to television, to whatever. It's in your pocket right now. You can have anything at the touch of a button in your hand. It may be hard. It may be difficult. They may be the only 13-year-old in the school without a phone. But draw the line somewhere. Protect your child. Because the world's not going to do it for you. 
sin-sick culture is not going to do it for you. My wife and I, we, we enjoy some entertainment. The other day I commented to her, we have a, a few little streaming services that we pay for, that we stream. And you think, oh, that'd be fine, be great, right? I told her recently, we're going to have to back down on some of the streaming services. And we're going to have to choose just one or two and pay the premium price so we don't have to be exposed to commercials. That's how sick the world is. It's everywhere, everywhere. Sin is glorified in all of the world. So don't compromise. Don't compromise in the way you let them dress. We live in a culture that is willing to sensualize and sexualize even young children. Don't compromise on daily prayer at home. Don't compromise on reading your Bible. Let them see you do it. Don't compromise on fasting. Don't compromise on the things of God. Don't compromise on attendance to church. Don't compromise on your child's involvement in church-related activities. Make that first. All of the other things can come second, but make church first. We're going to make God a priority in our life. Because some compromising will negatively impact their life and it will leave you in a state of sorrow later. Window number three is the window that looks out upon the field called success. It's not, not just the things you protect them from, but it's also the things you direct them to. Rachel was such a mother. Jacob would succeed whatever it took. She was willing to do it. There was no cost that was too large, no sin, no manipulation that was too great. It was ambition, ambition for her son that led to her developing a scheme for supplanting her older son and defrauding him of a birthright because she loved Jacob so much. She played a major role. She prepared a meal and she designed a costume to trick her husband, all because she wanted success and ambition for him. But what was the result? We read these stories sometimes and we overlook the results because the results are nuanced. Even though God had his hand on Jacob's life and God would use Jacob, there were still some things that were sorrows that had to be paid. Jacob had to flee for his life. This mother would die never seeing her son again. Anything to succeed, cheating, overwhelming debt, destroying another person's future, he had to succeed. And I see this in our culture. It's very prevalent in society right now. There are people that they plan their child's growth throughout all of their, uh, from toddler years up to high school to make sure they're going to get to one certain college when they get through that college they'll have this career and everything's planned out for them and it's success you talk to those adults later in life they're not happy they feel like their future was governed they feel like everything was controlled for them destroyed in success See, parents teach their kids to be disrespectful toward authority. Coaches, teachers, officers, judges. 
They're teaching them subtle disrespect and then wonder why something negative happens. But the inverse of that is some godly windows. There are some windows, some directions that a window can look on your child's life. How about a window of godliness, of sacrifice and faithfulness that shows them a way to live life that God rewards? Hannah did such a thing. She dedicated her son Samuel to God. If she had her way, God's purpose would be the ruling thing in his life. And that was what the result would be. So when he was just a boy, she brought him to the tabernacle to live under the care of Eli, the man of God. She entrusted her son to Eli. She sacrificed. It cost her something. It cost her uh, companionship with her son, time with her son. She only saw him one time a year when they went up to worship. That was the only time she spent with her son. And Eli was not perfect. He was an imperfect leader. He had his sons taking advantage of their position, advantage of the people. And Eli ignored it. He was wrong. But she never tore him down. And she was alone with Samuel. Yearly, she invested in her son. She brought him a new garment. It's a picture of a mother who's looking out through a window of what life of godliness and sacrifice means for her son. What does it mean when I sacrifice? What does it mean when I invest? What does it mean when I'm doing the things of God? What does the sacrifice of time to God mean? What does the sacrifice of my prayers mean? What is the sacrificial giving? What is that going to result in my child's life? They're watching. They're paying attention. They know when there's sacrifice going on there. What is the sacrifice of forgiveness for the person that has done you wrong? And they see that. There's a window of faith and faithfulness. 2 Timothy 1 and 5, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith. Genuine faith means without fakery. There's nothing fake there. It's 100% authentic. It is pure. He says, When I remember the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. He said it was first in your grandmother. And I've seen it in your mother. What was it that attached itself to Timothy? It was a consistency. We think about big moments, and we're always looking for the major miracle moment. And I pray God does major miracles in your life, in your family's life. I want that. But let me tell you what makes changes and moves mountains. It's consistency. Consistency of faith. That moves the mountain. And it was consistency of her faith and her mother's faith. Her husband was a Greek. By all record, we have nothing that shows that he was ever converted. Nothing. Nothing ever says that he experienced conversion. He was just a Greek. He was a pagan. But she was faithful. She was faithful in good times, and she was faithful in bad times. She made it a keystone of her life that she was going to be with God, doing godly things, representing God to the people around her. And Timothy picked something up in that. 
says you can be consistent in your speech about the God that you serve, the church you're a part of. <coughs> but if you're not consistent in action, your teaching and your influencing. In his final book, Letters and Social Aims, Ralph Waldo Anderson wrote Emerson, Anderson, Emerson wrote, Don't say things. What you are stands over you the while and thunders so that I cannot hear what you say to the contrary. Contemporary translation that has been offered is, what you do speaks so loud that I can't hear what you're saying. Your actions speak louder than your words. And your consistency of faith is what's going to influence your children. That's where they know. You know how they know to turn to God in prayer when they have a problem? They saw mom turn to God in prayer when there was a problem. You know how they know to go talk to the pastor whenever they're facing something and they don't know which direction to turn and they're not hearing from God? They saw mom and they saw dad go to the pastor and say, we need some biblical counsel and guidance. You know how they know to turn to God? It's because over and over and over there was some consistency of faith that when everything was going bad, when everything was against the family, they saw someone who had faith. Paul could say of Timothy's mother, I remember the unfeigned commitment she had. I remember the faith. I would love for someone to be able to say that about me and my wife when we're gone. And think about his grandmother. Be able to say that two generations later. I remember the unfeigned faith that was there. I know why I'm a product. I'm a product of God, and I'm also a product of the example I saw live before me. My parents were never perfect, still are not. Mom, I love you if you're watching this. They were never perfect. You know why there's no perfect parents? Just go ahead and let yourself off the hook. You will not be a perfect parent. It's not going to happen. But you can strive for some consistency consistency of faith a mother in west florida told how she went to her garden i'm fixing the end she went to her garden to work one day and she looked around she saw her little girl taking long steps trying to get in her footprint she said nell what are you doing little girl answered i'm stepping in your tracks mom i know if I step in your tracks, I won't get thorns in my feet. If I step in your tracks, I won't get thorns in my feet. I'm sure all of us have had possibly an experience at some point where you're out in a treacherous spot. And a parent turns to you and says, you step where I step. I remember one time being on a on a hiking trip with my, my grandfather, we were walking through the woods. We got into a spot where there were thorns and thickets, thistles, all the stuff you don't want to touch you. And he had on big work boots. He worked in the oil field. And he said, I'm going to step on these. I'm going to crush them down. You step where I step. Your children are watching you. Where you step 
against them. Mom, if if your children follow your steps, is it going to keep them from the thorns of life? God, help us. God, help us to be aware that there's someone we're influencing in godly direction. Paul, in writing and trying to give encouragement to faith, he said, you copy me. Do what I do. Follow my lead. And I want to say to some mom today, I want to say to some dad, I want to say to a saint, maybe you're not a parent, but you're just a saint. Someone's watching you. And your view from the window, what you encourage them in, what you push them toward, what they see you draw a line in the sand of life on, what they see you, how they see you guide your life of faith with God. It's changing them. It's impacting them. It's influencing them. If you'll stand with me. Lord, you see every one of us here today. God, we're trying to live lives of purposeful faith trying to lead and influence others, trying to guide our families toward a safe haven that is in your word, that is in heaven. God, under your wing, we're protected. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom. Give us the courage to stand consistently in a culture that is trying to tear everything down that you represent. God, I pray that you would give us that kind of fortitude and that strength to be the kind of parent that we need to be, to be the kind of leader that we need to be, to be the kind of person that we need to be. I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us, Lord, to do the tough things in our life, Lord, that are going to influence the next generation coming after us. Can't do anything about the past. We can't fix what has already gone past, but we can choose how we walk forward. We can choose the window we're looking out of as we go ahead. I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. We're going to celebrate mothers in just a moment, but I wonder if we could take a moment and just pray. Let's give the Lord an opportunity to speak to us the Spirit of God to minister in this place. There's some people who came in with some needs. I want you to present those to the Lord right now. Let's pray and ask the God of the heavens and earth that he would move upon us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. God, I pray that you would touch every one of these needs that are here today. God, I pray that you would help us in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. He sat the center of